So last week, uh, or the last time we were together, we talked about the thesis of this book is 1 John 5.13. I've told you these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that's kind of the whole goal of John taking everything that he wrote in John and then just boiling it down to a little espresso shot in this little five-chapter book um, to give us assurance and confidence to know that we might have eternal life so that we can live in a way that brings honor and glory to God through our lives. We're not just supposed to be ticking off days and, you know, we're, we're supposed to be living. And that's kind of the idea is, is, to, is to really live. The first two chapters were uh, living in the light. And we, we talked a lot about light and darkness. And the next three were living as children of God. And that's what we're supposed to be doing is living as, as children of God. Cliff talked last week um, in 6, 1 John 3, 6 uh, through 10. Um, and he says, no one who abides in him sins. Which, see, it's really good that we, that we have kind of a lottery of who gets what. And when I see a verse like this, I'm like, that's yours. Because I... <laughs> No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. So living as children, we, we abide. We abide when we live as children of, of God, uh, abiding in him. No one in, who abides in him sin and sins. And he gave an illustration that Steve Turner told him a long time ago about motorcycle riding that you, you stare where you steer, steer where you stare. You're, yeah. So if you're if you're like, oh, look at that bird, you're gonna crash. Uh, that you're supposed to go, oh, look at that bird, when you're riding a motorcycle. And sometimes we get distracted, and we do do that, and we veer off. And I think that's kind of what he was talking about. Um, uh, the key is what we practice. Are we practicing? righteousness or are we practicing sin and he talked about that word practice a little bit and you know what do we what is as routine what are we doing um, what are we practicing uh, righteousness or sin and I used to play a lot of tennis uh, growing up and I used to pra pra I hated practice I used to just play but anyway when you when you practice tennis and you're playing if you miss a shot you're you don't well, sometimes I threw my racket. Sometimes I broke my racket. And then my dad made me start paying for rackets, and then I quit breaking my rackets. Um, so if you miss a shot, you don't quit tennis. Um, I told you the story about when we lived in, when I was living with my mom and dad, because I was a little kid, and um, we moved from this house when I, uh, uh, when I was a junior or senior, and there's this closet that I'd put my tennis racket gear in and coats were everything in here and I put my tennis rackets and stuff in there. And I'd play tennis and not play well that day. And I'd come in and just open that door and I'd just chuck that racket in there. 
and shut the door and go off like that. Well, when we moved, the sheetrock was all gone. And I was wondering, I'd take my tennis racket, and I'm like, well, what's got it? And it's, why is this white stuff all over it? And I just dust it off. Well, my dad's like, Dick, what do you think this is? <laughs> he knew my tennis rackets were in there. So anyway, I didn't quit tennis because in my practice, I hit a bad shot. I kept going. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's this, this idea that we're abiding in God, and we miss a shot. We, we veer off. We sin, uh, deliberately or not, and we, we get right back on the horse and go. So that's the difference between practicing righteousness and practicing sin, where if we're in the practice of sin, it's just indifference. You couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. I don't care. I'm going to sin. I don't care who says I should sin or not sin. I'm going to live this way. Nobody can tell me anything else. That's the idea here of abiding or not abiding in God, uh, this moral indifference, this habitual sin, this unconcerned about sin versus, oh, I, I veered off. Oh, why did I do that? I've been a believer for so long and I'm still doing that. Oh, oh. And if you're doing that, by definition, we're abiding. You're wringing your hands because you, oh, you disappointed God, and oh, I didn't mean to. That's what we're talking about. You're concerned. We're, we get concerned about missing the mark versus couldn't care less. And that's kind of the theme that John is taking in this book. Um, and no one who abides in him sins. That's what he means by that. You, you sin, you mess up. But it's not a habitual practice of sin, hopefully. Um, and then Cliff told us this really interesting, shows this really inter interesting verse in, in 1 John 5.16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God for him will give life to those who commit Sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin. There is a sin not leading to death. You remember all those words and fancy Greek terms and stuff. That, that's, that's translated, there is a sin uh, not leading to death, or is a sin leading to death? He says that, that that's translated accurately, but not correctly. That in the Greek, the A is gone. The article is gone. I went back home and I really evaluated there is a sin leading to death, and I really had to disagree with him and we talked about this, that I really do believe there is a sin leading to death. If I have an affair on Terry, that isn't a sin leading to death. <laughs> we have guns in our house. She knows how to use them. We have lots of ammo. There is a sin leading to death. Right? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> 
Um, so in the course of our abiding, um, there is sin. The A is gone in that. There is sin not leading to death. And Cliff categorized it as two types. I, I call it banana peel sin. Whoop! <laughs> Whoopsie! <laughs> I really shouldn't cuss that guy out. Woo! <laughs> uh, versus sin leading to death, which is a uh, couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. Don't care. Do what I want. And that's the idea here of the uh, abiding and not abiding. So we're going to continue this week in 1 John 3. Uh, we'll go from, uh, from chapter First uh, John 3, 10 through 18. We're really going to be blowing. You guys had two weeks of, of uh, fiber and really good protein, and now it's carbs and fat uh, in our teaching styles. So protein, fiber, build muscle. Fat and carbs feel good. <laughs> Give me the potato chips. So um, in 1 John 3.10, by, by this, and that's what he talked about, by this, those that are practicing righteousness and those that are practicing sin, that's the by this. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, the one who does not love his brother, nor, nor the one who does not love his brother. So it's children of God versus children of the devil. And it, he says that that's obvious. The, the kids in those two families are obvious. The ones who... Uh, Practices sin and the ones who practice righteousness. Two families of God, of the devil. Um, in 1 John um, 1, 5, and this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you, 1 John chapter 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. That continual cleansing from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we see that in this, in this book about the contrast, light and dark. We, that, was, that was back when we were talking about living in the light. Light and dark, truth and lie, children of God, children of the devil. And throughout this whole process, it's our choice. We, we have to continually be making choices to live in the light or live in darkness. It is... A lot up to us. I wish I wish we could put a quarter in the slot. The, the I'm a Christian slot, and we would just walk correctly. But we have to make choices every single day to live in the light or live in darkness. To to live as children of God or or children of the devil, to tell the truth or or not. Um, and in in verse eleven. 1 John 3.11, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
Again, we've heard it from the beginning. You know this. That's a theme throughout the whole book where he says, you know this. You've heard this from the beginning. As you all know, he starts a lot of these passages off that way. As you have heard from the beginning, we're supposed to love. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Dang it, that's hard. It's not hard to love your kid, well, your kids sometimes, but you, most, mostly it's not hard to love your kids and your wife and your friends. It's the other that becomes a little more difficult to love. So that, that, that word love in verse 11, um, that we should love one another, that in Greek that's called fish love, fish love. A guppy. <laughs> I'm here through Thursday. The, the Gnostics were big on fish love, on a guppy love. I got a weirdo brain. So there's uh, three words for love that are used throughout the New Testament. Uh, agape, which is willing the best for another person. Willing the best versus another person for the another person versus the other two types of love, phileo and eros, which is a more feeling, more passionate uh, type of love, a tender love. That phileo love is a tender love that you'd have for your kids, your wife, like that. And eros is a more sensual, passionate love. Um, and this, this. Agape love doesn't wait for the feelings to come like phileo and eros. Eros and phileo have to have a feeling to it, like, oh, oh I love chocolate. Um, but agape doesn't need the feeling to have this goodwill towards other people. And that's what we're talking about this goodwill towards other people, helping somebody having compassion on somebody that you hear their story. That's the type of love we're talking about here. Um, you've heard from the beginning, you know this, we're supposed to agape, we're supposed to have goodwill or love uh, towards our brethren. Not, in verse 12, not as Cain, who is of the evil one and slew his brother, for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Um, Cain versus Abel. Let's, go, let's look at that. Go to Genesis uh, chapter 4. So... In Genesis 4.3, it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord, the fruit of the ground, and Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to him, why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. 
And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. What do you think Thanksgiving was like at that next Thanksgiving at the uh, Adam and Eve house? <laughs> at the non, I like to call them the non-belly button family. Um, it'll get there. Um, if, if you do, <laughs> guy at work told me that one. That was when I told him we were talking about Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve. Um, if you do well, all will be right. But if not, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. Uh, so I, in reading through this and figuring out what we're going to talk about, why does John bring up Cain and Abel? That just seems random to me. Of all the things you could bring up, why is he bringing up the first family and their dysfunction? And, and so that, that really intrigued me. Why is he talking about Cain and Abel when he says that we're supposed to love? And so in that, in that context, think about this. Um, but this was a choice. Cain had a choice, and that's what we've been talking about. It's our choice to abide or not abide. It's our choice. We have to wake up every day and choose to hang with Jesus, choose to be with him, choose to live our life in a way that would bring him honor and glory and would put a smile on his face. It's our, and, and this, was, this is, I think, why he brings it up is Cain had a choice to practice good or evil, to do right or wrong, to abide, yes or no. And the reality of this whole thing that we're living in is that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you and me. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. And this word in Greek, Cliff's really got me studying Greek. Whoa, what an awful language. Anyway, <laughs> but it's very useful when you're studying scripture. Desire, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. That's what God said to Cain. Desire is a longing like a woman for a man. That's the word desire. Its desire is for you. How Terry looks at me longing for me. <laughs> So that's, <laughs> the sin has that, had, has that desire for us. It wants to devour us. Sin, the evil one, evil, wants to devour us. Sometimes I think we lose track and we're just kind of bebopping through the world Dancing around sin, I'll sin, I'll not sin, I'm, I'm forgiven, eh, you know, like that. And I, I don't think we understand the repercussions that sin is crouching at our, sin is crouching at the door. And the intensity um, and brutality of that murder of Cain to Abel demonstrates that. The word kill, or Cain rose up and, and killed 
Abel, that word is slaughter. Cut his head off. Cut his throat. Let blood everywhere. This wasn't just a bump on the noggin because I don't like my brother. This was premeditated. Hey, Cain, or hey, Abel, come on into the field. Come on, I got to show you something. And cut his throat. That's the brutality of sin. And I don't think we recognize that enough. I don't think we need to dwell on it, but I think we need to have the proper acknowledgement and respect that sin is crouching at our door and its desire is for you. And when we abide, we take that away. When we don't, when we're just, when we're distracted, that's the opportunity where it has to crouch at our door and and to have us. Um, First John, there's a scripture, there's my scripture. Oh, Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. Peter writes, be steadfast and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And those lions couldn't care less. I was six feet away from them when I took that. That's me in the background. (laughs) Sunday afternoon after my earls. That's my idea of be steadfast and alert. Your adversary, the devil, in 1 Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And uh, Jesus said, um, um, something. Oh, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He knew, he knew the power of the evil one because he was tempted by him for 40 days. He knows it. Jesus chose not to fall. It's his choice. Um. Be sober and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion. And then I meant to put another slide in here so we didn't have to look at that till my next slide. But we'll just do that. Um, Because I don't think that's... Pretty cool, though, hearing the bones crunch. Um, If you do well... If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up, is what God told Cain. There is is this absolute hope and light and life and truth when we abide. When we abide, we don't necessarily have to worry about the sin crouching out of the door. We need to be aware of it, but we don't need to be just freaked out if we're abiding. That's the power that comes by hanging with Jesus, walking with Jesus learning about him, doing things that bring him honor and glory throughout our day, where there's no difference between your, how, you, how we act towards each other in the morning versus how we act at work. It's the same deal all the way through. Um, how we act at church. That's why I used to get in so much trouble at church because I'd act the same at work as at church. <laughs> anyway, so the other passage that goes along with that first Peter uh, 
passage is humble yourself, therefore, in 1 Peter 5, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so in due time he may lift you up, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's the encouragement in the, in the light. He says that first, then he says, be sober and alert. Your adversary of the devil is roaming around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. The accompanying, the accompanying passage in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And that's what he wants for us. He wants this abundant life, but we need to be att attentive that this... Um, the sin of Cain is possible for all of us. It's built into us, but it's not inevitable. If we abide, when we abide, this is what can, can be with us. Cain had absolute designs to kill his brother, and he, God couldn't even talk him out of it. And he had, he had designs. He, he calculated. He slipped that knife in his belt and said, hey, Abel, come on out. I want to show you something. And cut his throat. And God's trying to talk him out of it. It's in us. We need to be aware of that. But when we abide, it takes all that away. When we hang with Jesus, when we choose righteousness versus choosing sin. And I think that's the idea here. Um, that we are God's children. And when we abide, we love. And when we love, we abide. So look at verse 13 there. Um, Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. Um, the world hates us. I mean, I'm sorry, but the world hates believers. Doesn't understand us. The world, the system, doesn't understand us. Always has. Um, the world is the spirit of Cain, but we're supposed to love. Um, you know, problem is people rub us the wrong way. They're not all beautiful like me. And we're supposed to love. And this thing is way easier said than done uh, to love, to the agape, to have goodwill towards everybody. There's just people that rub you the wrong way. You know, some of us are way easier to love than others. Um, but it's a process. I think we, we say that we're, I'm a believer, so I automatically love. Well, that, it's not human nature. It's a process. We have to work our way into this uh, process of, of, of loving. Um, and, and the problem is the world hates us, so we don't really have a head start. In verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, like Cain. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, so this process, sometimes for me, this process is just letting the donkey jawbone slip out of my hand. I was going to say ass jawbone, but I don't think that's appropriate to say ass in Sunday school. You know, like, um, we're talking about uh, Samson here, right? He took the jawbone of a donkey and 
killed 300 people. And sometimes for me, that's the victory. If I can just let that slip out of my hand and not bludgeon somebody and walk away with a smile on my face, that's a victory. It's a process. It doesn't come all at once. There's other people that you meet them and you're just like, man, that's just, what can I do? This, you're just a nice person. I just like being around you. I'm a better person for being around you. Really easy to love. There's other people that you just want to knock them on the head with the jawbone of a donkey. Never seen, never seen a jawbone of a donkey. <clears throat> I should get one. Bring it, bring it to class. Um, so... A lot of times, the victory is a polite word to somebody, just being polite. That's a victory. A lot of times, the victory is a silent prayer for a person. Lord, I hate that person, but I pray for him. I've said that. God can handle that. He knows our heart. And it's a process. It doesn't automatically happen to us to love. So look at this in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.22, since you have, 1 Peter 1.22, since you have in obedience the truth purified, uh, the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. That's Peter talking about um, a sincere love of the brethren, reborn and of the imperishable. Isn't that nice? I mean, that's, that's Peter. Let's look at Peter a few years earlier um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they got done praying. They're coming for Jesus. Again, Jesus asked, um, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I told you, I'm he. If therefore you seek me, let these people go their way, um, that the word might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those um, who has given me, I've lost none. Simon Peter, therefore, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's na name was Malchus. And Jesus, therefore, said to Peter, Peter, put the sword away. The, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So, Peter wasn't being crafty trying to lop off his ear. He was aiming for his forehead. It, tell me this isn't a process. He's with Jesus. He takes a sword out and tries to kill a slave. And then 30 years later, he's writing about the love of the brethren. It is a process that we all um, need to make progress in. Um, does anybody here, like me and, and Terry, like Terry and I, um, have a relative that's just a tick love adverse? <laughs> yes. And that's why they're called relatives, not friends. Um, so Terry tries this and, and does this very well. Just try speaking to him. You know, you got Thanksgiving coming up. Try speaking to him um, as a total stranger. Just be polite. Don't bring all of the other stuff in. So how's it going? Um, things going well? Do you still have the cut-up kittens in your uh, freezer? Um, everything going good? Um, so just start 
just speak to him as that's, that was just a joke, okay? I don't think they have cut up kittens in their freezer. Um, just, just speak to them politely. That's a victory. That's your way to abiding in love. That's what Jesus expects to us. But Jesus does expect that we do make progress. We can't just be sitting. Peter can't be, walk, Peter can't be writing First Peter with a sword in his belt still lopping off ears. He has to have had made progress. And obviously he did because he made it. We're talking about him 2,000 years later, so something happened. God expects us to, to have this process. Um, remember, when John was writing this, um, he'd seen every one of his friends murdered, brutally murdered. Every one of his friends. His brother w- was beheaded. He's lived this. And yet, this is what he's writing about, that we need to abide in love. And this has to be a, a, a process. Um, in 17, everyone who hates his brother's murder. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down his, our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's good and beholds his brother and Eve closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Um, this kind of love um, only comes by hanging with Jesus. It just does. This type of love only comes by abiding, staying with, studying, worshiping, praising Jesus. Um, and we're supposed to be loving the brothers. And I tried weaseling out of it a couple of times, saying, well, they're not really my brother, technically speaking, God. And then he does, the, Jesus says, the loophole of all loopholes. He closes it saying we're supposed to love our enemies. What? So in verse 16, he says that we're supposed to, we know love by this, that he laid down his lives for us. So we probably won't have to lay down our lives for anybody, hopefully. Um, But all of us, in that next passage, all of us has the world's goods. Whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Um, So 80% of the world today lives on less than $10 a day. So 300 and 3,600, whatever, 365 times 10 is. Um, That's 80% of the world. So I would say most of us in this room have the world's goods. And anyone, whoever has the world's good and beholds his brother in knees and closes his heart to them, how does the love of God abide in him? It's, It's a process. It's a progression of this love towards our brother, this brotherly love. Sometimes it is just walking away. It can be a total victory. Take it. You didn't say something that you will regret. Take that victory. Walk away. Sometimes it's a kind word. Sometimes it's a silent prayer. Sometimes it is a prayer, grabbing them and praying with them. 
Sometimes it's helping out. We all have the world's goods, and we all should be helping out. The easiest way to do that is here at our church, just our tithe, just a natural thing. Whether it's $10 a day or $10,000 a day, all of us have the world's goods and can start showing that we love, that we are abiding in love by this giving that we have. And it's a beautiful thing. This, this isn't about giving. This is just about helping those to show our brotherly love for them. Um, little children, verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in, with deed and with truth. Um, James says in James 2, 15, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Um, so... This loving and deed and truth is the beginning of this true love, this agape type of love uh, for one another. Um, so do you think this is what God would expect of you and I? I mean, I, I think we have to answer that yes. I think the expectation is that God's children who are blessed beyond abundance to have a wonderful place to come and grow together I think that would just be an expectation that we would start this process of loving one another in the various different ways. And it doesn't have to be, you know, giving them your home and, and stuff like that, but it's just, it begins as a process. It begins as little things. You know, I've, I've slipped my credit card in a, in a gas pump of an obviously struggling single mom and bought her $15 worth of gas. That wasn't much. I think it was to her. That's that, that's that agape type of love, that love for obviously a, a woman whose kids are just like a washing machine in the back seat and she's having a tough day. It's just, you know, it's just obvious like that and it's nothing. I mean, that is literally nothing. But I think it's, what, it's that part of that process that God would expect us to do is to be loving towards our fellow human beings. And that's how people will understand and know us, by our love for one another. Um, see how great a love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. He says in 1 John 3, 1, how great a love the Father has lavished on us, and that, is, and that is what we are. God wants and expects us to live in that position that he's so graciously given us as his child, as his kid. God wants us to live in that position. Uh, and that position is loving his other kids. You all know what it's like, you that have had kids. When your kids are fighting, it's just awful when they're not getting along. Conversely, you know what it's like 
when your kids are texting each other and helping each other and keeping each other's kids and shopping with each other and doing life together. How, how wonderful is that? And don't you think it's the same thing that God feels when we're getting along, when we're loving each other, when we're doing just simple kind acts in the process towards loving each other, and then, God forbid, the day ever come that we have to lay our life down, it's just the next step in the progression. And I've been with people who are doing that over overseas that are literally taking their life in their own hands by helping this, this person there. Um, look at that. So that's a group of our... That's a group of our Water 4 folks in a conference that we do every year. This, is, this one was in Rwanda. Um, they're from 14 different countries. And these people, they don't know who they're serving in their countries, but they want to and they love them. That's one of my favorite photos. They just, they come together because they have God's love. They're laying their, their lives down to serve the people in, in their respective countries. Um, that, is the, that is the definition of agape love, of love for mankind. They, they are laying their lives down for their, their, their brothers. And, they're, and some of these are in some really tough places, really brutal witch doctor stuff and some really tough stuff. But they're doing it every day. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. Um, but I think this is what God would expect from us to make progress. Um, and us making progress towards loving our fellow brothers um, isn't, we're not doing God a solid here. This is for our own sake. Because this helps us abide cl more closely with God, which then helps us to have confidence that we're doing the right thing and assurance so that we can go live our lives abundantly. It's the whole idea of this book, is that we do things that will help us draw closer to God so that we can live our lives in a, in a more meaningful way till the last breath that we draw. We should be getting better all the way through, not crankier as we get older, which I have to work on because I can get kind of set in my ways. I have a nine o'clock moratorium that my kids better not be calling me after nine o'clock unless they're in a car wreck. Um, but this is what Jesus expects for us. We know that we've passed out of life into, we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And then that, the thesis of this, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may, you may know that you have eternal life. That's what God wants out of all this, that we may know that we have eternal life, that we have confidence and assurance. And this loving the brethren, making progress towards that little by little, but continuing to make progress, is the way that we can abide with him is the way that we can hang with him, is the way that he just goes, God, they're just good, that he just smiles and enjoys us. So this week, let's evaluate where we are on this, 
love scale for our brothers? Do we need to make some progress? Is it time to step it up? Let's, okay, I've been kind of stalled here for a while. Let's step it up a little bit. Um, um, is there noticeable progress in our love for our brothers? Is, is there a noticeable progression that would bring a smile on God's face in our love for our brothers? Because that's where we, that's where we need to be heading at, to, be, to, be, to take up our rightful position as God's children. And that's what he's endowed on us, is that we are God's kids. Now we're supposed to act that way. And acting that way involves progression towards loving each other to the point that maybe someday we could lay down our lives for our brother. So this week, evaluate where you are. Let's make some progress towards that. And let's come back together and, and just share with somebody, hey, this, was, this is what I did this week. So let's pray and we'll go away. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for these words. We thank you that you've given us this type of encouragement that, you, that, you, that 2,000 years later we're still reading about a guy that was with you and who's trying to do it right. And we want to be that way, Lord. And it's really hard. You know how hard it is. You made us. You know our, our makeup. And sometimes we totally struggle with loving those sometimes that are just the closest to us. But help us make that progression, Lord. We want to abide with you, and we know this is integral to abiding with you, is taking those steps of love towards those that are in our life. So help us to do that this week, Lord Jesus. And as we go into worship, we're just going to pour our hearts out to you in how much we love you and how much we praise you. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we can come here and just abide and come closer to you. We just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.